And thank you very much, Mr. Fleming, for willing to talk to us about your career uh, as a pro wrestler in America and in Japan. We really appreciate you taking your time out. That was my pleasure. Uh, the first question I have is, uh, though, um, uh, how is everything personal-wise uh, going on with the current circumstances uh, with COVID and all that stuff? How are you doing, uh, your friends, family? Just want to make sure everything's go okay. How are things going for you? Well, we're all healthy as far as the COVID-19. Um, unfortunately, I had to close my business, Fleming's Gym. Um, this this kind of helped me make that decision to close it, this COVID-19. But um, it, I've had the gym for 16 years, and uh, this stuff going on now, plus other reasons, is uh, I just threw in the hat and had to close it down after 16 years here recently. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, Sorry to hear that, and, you know, um, yeah, all I can say is, you know, uh, hopefully, you know, it was, it's, it sucks see, that I, I know friends who have businesses who had to close down because of COVID-19 as well, uh, so, yeah, just uh, my, my apologies and my sympathies go out to you for closing the gym. Well, thank you. Um, but uh, we're here to talk about your extensive pro wrestling career, not only in America, but also in Japan. My first question to you is, how did you get started in pro wrestling? Because when you were a pro wrestler, there wasn't, you didn't just go to a pro wrestling school that you looked up on the internet and signed up and all that. You almost had to be invited in to train as a pro wrestler. So I'm curious to know how you got started. You're right. Uh, when, I, when I broke into business, it was a uh, very close camaraderie. Um, everything was hush-hush and uh, you had to be accepted by um, showing your skills and courage, you know. The old-timers were still around, fortunately for me, when I was breaking in, so I had the opportunity to um, work out with a lot of those old-timers. But I broke in through uh, Crockett Promotions, um, became friends uh, just by chance with uh, Ricky Steamboat talking to him at the matches. And uh, we always talked about my amateur career in wrestling, and um, we became friendly. I told him one day that I would like to try pro wrestling because it's been a dream of mine since I was a kid. And uh, once he found out I was serious, he told me to write a resume of the tournaments and uh, everything I won through the years in the amateurs and um, what other sports I played, and he would um, submit my resume to Crockett Promotions. Well, about a year later, um, he told me that they were going to have a open tryout to look for new talent, uh, Jim Crockett was, and um, they invited me to the tryout. Um, it was like 27 guys there, all different um, sizes and ages and a lot of college athletes. Um, I was right out of high school. Um, so I was like the uh, one of the youngest there and second to the smallest out of the 27, only weighing 200 pounds at the time, but I was in shape and uh, just came out of the amateurs. And um, they, had, they had a lot of competition, but um, that's how I got involved. I, made, I ended up uh, making that tryout, and me and two other guys out of 27 were picked. So it was only three of us, and... Um, you know, I, me and those three, those two guys started working out with uh, Gene and Ole Anderson, who had the tryout. 
Mm. And uh, those two guys, it was such a hard, it was such a hard workout working with these guys that uh, the, the two guys that made it with me ended up quitting, and I was the only one left. Hmm. So I've trained with uh, only Gene Anderson uh, and then various other wrestlers, Mike Rotundo, uh, several other guys. And um, after about a, a, a 11 months, Gene Anderson told me that uh, he wanted to put me on the road. He thought I was ready, which I didn't think I was. But they kind of threw me through the wolves. I was 20 years old and, uh, you know, still wet behind the ears. So... <laughs> I always say I was thrown to the wolves, and then I just started traveling on the road with the Crockett Promotions, and um, you know, just traveling all through the Mid Atlantic, wrestling, learning on the road. Mm, wow! So, so you actually, you're you're one. I don't know who else. I can't think of anybody else who's been with uh, Ole Anderson uh, and, and survived. I've heard stories about training under Ole Anderson, and those sound oh, yeah. like some brutal, brutal. Uh, Times. Well, this this tryout that I went to was a one day tryout. Um, it, it lasted all day long, from the morning to the night, and it was the hardest. It's the hardest thing I've ever been through. Um, they put us through uh, so many calisthenics and uh, Hindu squats and push ups and running up and down the Coliseum steps at the Charlotte Coliseum, and then we had to do a round robin wrestling tournament with everybody. And I think what really helped me because I was one of the smallest guys there is I pinned everybody I wrestled. I pinned these big football players that were out there from uh, University of South Carolina to try to make it. And um, I, I was, I was a, you know, I was in good shape and a pretty good amateur wrestler. And um, I, I think only just recognized that and, and knew I had a lot of heart. Mm -hmm. But it was the hardest thing I've ever been through since. I mean, it was the toughest day of my life, really. And Ole and Gene Anderson, they don't pull no punches, man. They're tough dudes. Oh, yes. And they were very, very, um, they were very picky. You know, if you didn't know how to take care of yourself, if you weren't in shape and you weren't mentally tough, then they wouldn't give you the time of day. They didn't care if you were a big muscle head. That's really what they, they wanted to know if you could wrestle. And that was my saving grace. They knew I could wrestle. And um, they just kind of took me in and, it wasn't, those 11 months were hard, but um, it was a lot of days after the workouts I felt like quitting, you know, but I knew I wanted to do this, and uh, it was a dream come true to me, and I just gave it 110% and, and made it. Mm -hmm. Can you recall what your first match was when uh, they threw you to the Wolves? Yes, I wrestled an old-timer named uh, Jim Dalton. Um he was a pretty salty guy. He was, uh, I wrestled at the uh, Greenville, North Carolina. Um, I went about 15 minutes with him, and he literally kicked my butt. Mm. Slapped me around, slammed me around, and um, he, he really he, uh, handed my ass to me. But, you know, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, you know, I made a good showing, obviously, and... Um, uh, I had Ricky Steamboat and Mike Rotunda watching in the back and telling me what I should and shouldn't done, and they kind of took me under their wing as a young kid, and, and I just went from there. Mm -hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, now, throughout your career, 
I uh, when I was going through the the list of matches I could find that you did uh, that you had through CageMatch.net, you had so many matches with, with so many people. You you had with Don Kernodle, um, yep. Nikita Volkov, um, but it's Billy Graham, uh, yep. Sting, uh, Dick Slater. Uh, yep. Now, and Buzz Sawyer, one of my personal favorites, Buzz Sawyer. Um, yep. I don't think he gets enough credit uh, in, in today's day and age, but that's an entirely different story. Uh, so when, out of, like, what was it like wrestling against these these people who, I you know, I guess, I don't want to say that they beca- that, that went on to just become, I guess, uh, that that became... Like, like Sting, you know, Sting then was different than the Sting that we know now. Um, and so, like, what, what was it like just re- uh, wrestling all these all these people that just, you know, that have had such significant importance to the wrestling business? Well, it was tough. Um, like I say, back then it was different than it is now. These guys would try you, especially the old-timers like uh, Dick Murdoch and... Um, you know, I wrestled all these guys, and, and these guys would, would try you and see what you were made of. Mm-hmm. And um, if you didn't show them that you had a lot of fight in you and some guts, then they would just eat you alive. And, and you know, I was just fortunate enough to know that, that some of the guys were still around, the old-timers, that, that um, I was able to wrestle. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people, people ask me, who who you wrestled? And I tell them, you name them, I wrestled them. Mm-hmm. So just about everybody you can imagine, big name guys, uh, Bruiser Brody, you, you name them, I wrestled them. And uh, mm-hmm. I paid my dues, and I took a lot of bumps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you? What would you? So you could almost do like a, a Kevin Bacon thing of like six degrees of separation with you, um, in that oh you uh, this person they can all they can almost connect you all to almost everybody through six degrees. I would say. Almost. Would you say so? Uh, yeah, pretty much so. I mean, um, <laughs> it ain't many of them I didn't wrestle. <laughs> um, so, uh, what, what, are there, what, what, uh, what would you say were your best matches uh, in the NWA territory, uh, whether that be for Mid-Atlantic or the other territories that you wrestled? Which, would you, which match would you say you're most proud of? Um, well, I'll tell you, the, the, the one person I really enjoyed as an opponent was, um, Ivan Koloff. Um, reason being, Ivan Koloff, uh, was, it was probably one of the toughest of all of them, really. Mm-hmm. And so daggone strong, it wasn't funny. He was a tough dude, man. And he just, uh, he was just, uh, I just enjoyed wrestling him. He was uh, he he was the he was everything he was the he was a typical pro wrestler, and I just enjoyed my matches with him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of these guys they wouldn't they wouldn't really wrestle they would just they would uh, uh, they were brawlers you know, and they would punch and kick and, and, and act crazy and all and I didn't enjoy those type of matches. Uh, Ivan was just he he could do it all, and he was just so tough. And I, I just enjoyed his matches with him, and I wrestled him a lot. Mm-hmm. I also know that you did a lot of tag team matches as well, uh, uh, having different partners facing the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express, and you've also yep. had uh, other uh, other people that you face in tag team as well. So wh- when 
when you were coming up, did you know you'd be doing tag team wrestling? Or well, what's, the, what's the difference between training to be a singles pro wrestler and a tag team wrestler when, uh, when, when you've, you've done both? Like, can you just talk about the, the difference in training for uh, those types of matches? There's really no difference. Um, back at, at the level that I was at when I was wrestling for Crockett, um, I was assigned a partner. I didn't have a certain partner per se, like a lot of the main event guys would go around and wrestle on tag teams. I was just paired up with somebody, whoever the promoter paired me up with. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal opinion, I hated the tag team. I was the type of guy that I wanted to get in there and do my thing and not depend on somebody else. And I, I cringed every time I was in a tag team match. <laughs> I just didn't like it. Uh, I didn't like the pace. I just like to set my own pace and be my own wrestler and uh, not depend on anybody else. But as far as um, training to be with a tag team partner, there's no, there's no training that there's no difference. I mean, you know, once you're in the ring in there, you're in the ring with you and your opponent, your partner's on the outside of the ring. So really you got to do your own thing. It's just, I didn't really enjoy tag team. I really did. Gotcha. 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 Uh, so, well, tell us a little about, about the experience of the territory system uh, because you were with the NWA territory. So, would you basically, is it kind of like uh, the circus comes to town and then goes to another town type thing? Would you, would it, would you interchangeably work through different uh, territories in the NWA? Like, how was, how was that whole uh, process? Uh, well, turn? well, I was, uh, I was really committed to Crockett Promotions. Um, mm. At the time, they were the biggest promotions around, bigger than WWF at the time. Mm-hmm. And that's where everybody wanted to go. All the top guys wanted to go to Crockett because he paid well, the territory was hot, and I did everything I could to stay there. Um, Gene Anderson tried to get me to go to Florida for Eddie Graham, but... Um, I really didn't want to, and uh, Jack Briscoe told uh, Gene Anderson to let me stay there at the uh, with Crockett. Um, I don't know if that was a mistake. I don't know. I really don't regret not going, but I don't know. But anyway, I did go to the Kansas City area territory run by Bob Geigel, mm-hmm. who was the NBA president. Um, I was out there for... I don't know how long, but um, the winter of 86. And I went out there to wrestle, and I wrestled through Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, Illinois, and uh, did the Midwest uh, territory, and that that was fun. Um, The money wasn't as good as it was with Crockett, Mm. but uh, it was a learning experience, and I got to uh, wrestle with a lot of different guys. Mm -hmm. Actually, it's funny. I mean, come to think of it, and I hate to interrupt, even though it's kind of my thing, but... Was Paul Botch one of those guys that you normally wrestled for? No, Paul Botch was down in Houston, Texas. I didn't wrestle in Texas. Um, no, it was it was Bob uh, Bulldog Bob Brown, who was still wrestling at the time, and it was Bob Goggle. Mm-hmm. And I think Pat O'Connor, I don't know if you know that name. He was a former world champion. Oh, yeah, we know the name. Oh, We've heard about him. Pat O'Connor, I think, had a hand in it, too. Um, but no, this was just the Midwest territory. Um, like I say, based out of Kansas city, Kansas. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
Um, actually, my apologies, Dan. My apologies. <laughs> actually, Crockett, Crockett bought the territory from Bob Goggle and Bob Brown and Pat O'Connor. So once Crockett bought that territory, he sent a bunch of the young guys out there so we would get, you know, just get experience, a lot more experience on the road. I see. I it see. was still territory. I mean, we almost starved to death out there. Wow. Oh. It was a learning experience. So actually, I mean, like, how rigorous was that learning experience? You said that you nearly starved to death. What was it like up there? Well, it was three or four of us roomed together in an efficiency hotel um, because we couldn't afford our own room. And, um, of course, we would all travel together. And uh, the payoffs just weren't that well out there. Um, I don't know. Bob Goggle wasn't the best promoter. He was a heck of an NWA president, but he wasn't the best promoter in the world. And, uh, they were a little behind the times as far as their TV so it just it was just a tough territory you know some territories pay better than others crockett crockett had a lot of money backing you know and um he was so established everywhere we went and he had great tv so all the towns we went in were almost sold out if not sold out mm -hmm. so i was making good money with crockett um and then you know that was the difference between that and the uh, midwest that's that's why I always hear from wrestlers uh, who work for Crockett was that that's you know he was paying wrestlers so well even like to uh, before WWF became what it was that he was actually able to pay guys so so well and that's why like you said everybody wanted to go work for work for Crockett. Yeah, Crockett was a good payoff man. Um, very strict, very uh, cliquish territory. Um, you had to keep your nose clean, but. <laughs> um, and it was a it was a big territory, mm -hmm. you know. When I was there, it was uh, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, parts of West Virginia, parts of Georgia, parts of Pennsylvania, and um, I mean they would book you, and we were gone every night. But um, you know, it was it was you know, I learned a lot, and um, it, it was it was tough, but it was was the number one promotion at the time. Mm -hmm. So before we go into your Japanese uh, wrestling career, I just want to ask about territories overall. As you know, territories don't exist anymore. How is how, in your personal pers uh, uh, opinion, uh, as somebody who worked in the territories, and uh, I'm gonna uh, I believe you you knew the positives and also negatives working for the territory. What with the territories not existing now, how has that hurt the wrestling business overall? If you think it has. Oh yeah, it's hurt the wrestling business. Um... Because there's nowhere for these young guys to go. You know, um, just say uh, Kansas City, like I said, was a good territory for young guys to get their feet wet and uh, learn the ropes and, uh, and, and really, really um, experience hard times and learn, you know, and wrestle every night. We wrestle on the road every night. And that's how you learn. Um, and it, when, once you stay there for a while, you'd go to the next territory. You just keep on going from territory to territory. That's how you learn. The more you wrestle, you know, the more you would learn. And nowadays, there's there's only one person. That's Vince McMahon. Mm -hmm. And if he don't book you, then where else are you going to go? You know? mm -hmm. So these guys aren't learning properly, and they have nowhere to go to learn. So, mm -hmm. yes, it has hurt the business big time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but would you basically say that, you know, independent – 
independent wrestling, I'm sorry, kind of tongue tied, but would you basically say that independent wrestling is a far cry from the territories of yesteryear? Yes. Um, I've been fortunate enough, I wrestled with some good ter- uh, independent groups, but um, the difference between independent groups and wrestling, uh, it's not every day. It's usually a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday gig, you know. Mm-hmm. When it was territories, it was a full-fledged territory. You wrestled every night. Not saying that the payoffs were that great, but you traveled and wrestled every night. And you had usually had a TV, whereas in independence, well, most of them don't have TV. But uh, with independence, independence is okay if you get with the right people that know the business and promote the business correctly and not do a bunch of gimmicks. Some of these guys get too far-fetched. <laughs> well, it's just ridiculous, you know. I don't even I don't even dignify it today, but... I, I women, it's hard to dignify it as it is. <laughs> yeah. I know this is fat because they bust their butts just like everybody else, but still, it's hard to dignify it these days. Well, they have no standards today. You know, if you take steroids, you got blonde hair, you can be a wrestler. Well, that's not the way it was when I broke in, thank goodness, because uh, they looked at and see what what kind of talent and heart you had. Mm. Now they, I don't think they care. You know, it's mm. it's, it's, it's the look now. It's not what you know. It's how you look, and that's hurt the business. I also think, and I want to get your opinion on this, and then we'll go into your into the Japanese portion of your career of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, when that the a lot of wrestlers now, and this is not to say that size is a thing should be considered or, or anything like, but I feel like a lot of the wrestlers that are wrestling predominantly now, they don't have like that. I guess that gritty, hard edge look that like a lot a lot of the wrestlers in the eighties and I would say early to mid nineties had. I feel like. Too many guys now look like me. They look like... Or they look like myself, and that's not to differentiate because Andrew is, what, 6'4"? I'm 5'4". But, yeah. Basically, basically wrestlers these days kind of look like us with a bunch of TV time and only a little bit of talent. But... Do you think that the intimidation factor nowadays with professional wrestling is what Andrew probably is going to ask? Yeah. Is kind of wearing off with the modern generation of professional wrestling? Yeah, the business has changed so much, so drastically in the last 20 years. It's it's crazy. Um, You know, I see guys today that they all look like it's cookie cutters. They all look the same because they're all on the same cycle as the juice and they all try to be pretty boys and all. And, you know, we, when I was breaking in, it wasn't that way. Um, you know, I, I wasn't into steroids. I didn't care how pretty I was. I just wanted to go out there and wrestle and, and be a wrestler. And um, wrestling, the business has lost that because these guys, they can't wrestle because nobody's part of them. And they think just because they played football in college or a bodybuilder or a powerlifter or one, they can wrestle. 
and they're being accepted as wrestlers, and they're not. They're the furthest thing from wrestling. And and by me being around Luthez and training with him, and um, and 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 getting in the business when they were really guys that could really wrestle, you had a different attitude. You you know, it's just different now. It's a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. I don't even know why they call it wrestling. You know, it's just. Too much what Lou used to say. It's all like uh, pornographic tumbling, you know. That could possibly be why most <laughs> celebrities and most athletes from other sports like Rod Gronkowski of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and his character of the Boston Celtics want to try their hand on professional wrestling. I would like to see Gronkowski and all those guys go against... Uh, Ole Anderson back then, Ole Anderson would have ripped him in half and <laughs> laughed at him. He, he thought football players were sissies. I've seen him do it with my own eyes with college players, uh, just slapping them around like they were little girls. Mm-hmm. And and he, he didn't respect that. If you could wrestle and take care of yourself, that's what he respected. Mm-hmm. And, and he didn't care if you had a name in another sport or nothing, you know. And, and you got to remember... And I have seen this myself through the years. I have seen a lot of pro football players try it. I've seen a lot of pro boxers try it. And a lot of pro athletes from other, uh, like hockey and baseball, try it. And they all, 99% of them failed. Mm-hmm. And you know what they've said? And they, I have heard this in the locker room, and they have even told me this to my face. They don't see how we do it. <laughs> they, don't, they don't see how we do it. Um the boxer uh, that fought Muhammad Ali, what was his name? Ernie Shavers. Crockett bought uh, Ernie Shavers in. Either Ernie Shavers or Michael Spinks. Yeah, Michael Spinks did a little wrestling in, in Japan, um, but <laughs> he was a clown. But anyway, um, uh, Ernie Shavers told me in the locker room in Columbia, South Carolina one time, he says, I wouldn't get in there with you guys for nothing. And he fought Muhammad Ali and a lot of guys. He said, you guys are crazy. He says, I don't see how y'all get thrown around and take a slam. He says, ain't no way I would even try. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I've had a lot of football players the same way. They don't last. Mm-hmm. But, uh, I mean, some do, but some just don't get it. And, it, and it, it's, it's, it's not easy. You never... Wrestlers, pro wrestlers have never got their credit. And um, now that Vince McMahon has made a joke out of everybody, you know, they get even less credit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, well, there was a time years ago that pro wrestling had a lot of respect because the guys could wrestle. But now they don't look for wrestlers. They look for clowns and they look for whoever can talk and how big your biceps are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's actually a great transition to Japan. Uh, if we want to talk about taking wrestling seriously, and they still do to this day, um, J- Japanese wrestling is still alive and kicking when it comes to serious pro wrestling. And I want to ask you, um, Mark, how, how did you uh, get involved with New Japan Pro Wrestling? Well, I was booked in New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, um I was training under Lou Thez. He was managing me at the time and training me. I don't know if you know that name, correct? Oh, of course, yes. We know Lou Thez. Six nine world champion Lou Thez. He, uh, he took me under his wing and started training me because he knew I could wrestle. 
and he liked my style. So while he was managing me, he, he told me, he says, look, you need to get away from Crockett because, first of all, you're not what they're looking for. You're not the uh, show showboat. You're not the pretty boy. You're not the uh, steroid guy. He said, you need to go somewhere and, some, uh, and get promoted where they respect your ability. And he said, Japan is that place. So he got in touch with a guy named Joe Daigo, who was an uh, old wrestler, Japanese wrestler, that was a talent scout for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, he's working for Loki. And um, Lou got in touch with him, told him to come watch me work out. And he came one day, stayed a couple of days, and watched me work out and um, offered me a contract after three days watching me. And I went over there and spent uh, a month over there traveling around on the circuit. Um, and, you know, and, and still then, after that, um, Sagaguchi, who was the second-hand man there with Inoki, said I did too much mad wrestling, that I was too much of a wrestler. They wanted me to do um, more flying stuff and more spectacular high-flying mess. And, and, you know, Lou told him, he said, this guy is a wrestler. He's not a high-flyer. So there was this UWF. It wasn't called UWFI at the beginning when Maeda had it. Mm-hmm. It was called UWF. And I was wrestling for Anoki, and the UWF did a article about me and my style in their magazine and I didn't even work for them. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, um, so they contacted Lou and said, look, we like this guy's style. Um, where can we meet this guy? And what can we, you know, watch him work out? So they sent a scout over UWF and, uh, to watch me work out again. And after the first night, they offered me a contract. So I started going over there for uh, doing the shoot fighting over there with them. And um, I did pretty good. I liked their style. I had to learn how to wrestle all over again because it was a little different. I wasn't used to the kicks. Mm. I, I liked it because it was snug and they le- used legitimate holds. And mm. there's no showmanship. And that was right down my alley. And that's where Lou knew I would fit in. Mm-hmm. So that's how I got started with UWF. Um, and then when Lou got involved, he uh, became their spokesperson because he respected them because they were really promoting real wrestling. And um, they changed the name to the UWF International because uh, my, my, uh, Miata got, uh, no, what was his name? Miata went his own way. They had a big conflict within the uh, UWF and Takata took over as the head guy and they changed the name from UWF to UWFI mm-hmm. hey, actually, and, uh, oh, sorry go ahead no and, and I was just saying that uh, they were they were they were, had some great athletes great wrestlers some good submission wrestlers um, and, and they were just very dedicated and uh, it just fit my style better mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Well, we actually have a question, a uh, listener question from our friend Dylan Fox at Dylan Zero Sky. He's actually got two questions. I'll ask the first part. Um, what was it like 
to get the opportunity to wrestle both legends in Japan and the company owners in Antonio Inoki in New Japan Pro Wrestling and Nobuhiko Takada in UWFI. And what were your impressions of them outside of the ring? Um, well, when I wrestled Inoki, I, it was in Nagasaki, Japan. Found out I was wrestling him, and I was really nervous. Hmm. Um, he was the he was the boss, and he was a tough guy. He could really wrestle, and I I just wanted to be be on my A game, you know, to impress him. Um, actually, the first time I went out there and, and, and we tied up, I fireman carried him. <laughs> so uh, I was a little worried that I uh, threw the boss first, <laughs> but. Um, we had a good wrestling match. Um, to be truthful, though, uh, Antonio Noki, to me, personally, he wasn't the best wrestler they had. I will tell you the best wrestler they had that I wrestled many times over there was um, Fuji, uh, Fujiwara. Yoshiaki Fujiwara? Yes. The guy's a master. And, and I wrestled him, I don't know how many times. I'm, I'm thinking three to four times. I don't know. But um, he was their best wrestler. Um, now, I'll tell you somebody else who's a, who's a good wrestler. And I know you know the name was uh, Masa Saito, who wrestled pro in the United States also. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, the late, yeah. great Masa Saito. Yes, I wrestled him. He was a good wrestler. When, when, when they were in Japan, you know, they didn't do the showmanship stuff. They, they actually did some wrestling. And, um, but, you know, it was, it was an honor to wrestle Anoki. Was he the best wrestler in that group? No, not to me. Fujiwara was hands down the best wrestler they had. But um, I had the opportunity to wrestle all of them over there. And just to clarify as well, I'm sorry, I just want to clarify, you gave the name Sakaguchi before. That's Seiji Sakaguchi in case anybody wants to look up the name. Um, yes, he was a judo uh, He was a judo player. I think he represented Japan in the Olympics one year. Um, he was a tough guy, big guy, great big guy. But he wasn't the wrestler Noki was, and he wasn't the wrestler, definitely wasn't the wrestler uh, Fujiwara was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, to me, Fujiwara was the tops in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, and you asked me about Takata. The first time I went to the UWF, I was booked against Takata in the main event. And uh, I didn't know that when I was going over there. When I got in the locker room, I found out that me and Takata were the main event. And I told Lou, I said, man, I, you know, they're putting me against their top guy. And, um, you know, I wasn't too sure about all the rules they had. And it was different. And um, I was a little nervous wrestling him just because, um, you know, I wasn't, I, I, I wanted to represent myself well. But um, he was tough. Um, was he the toughest? No. Um, good kicker. Um a pretty strong guy, very good athlete, very good athlete, but not the best wrestler for the UWF either. Mm. He was their top guy, but he wasn't the best. Uh, I would say a guy named uh, Tamura. I don't know his, I don't know his first name. Uh, Kyoshi Tamura? Yes. Mm. He was very good. Little guy, maybe 200 pounds is all. He was very good, and I had the opportunity to work out with him. He came over to the United States and worked out with me and Lou for about two months. And uh, he taught me a lot of submissions, and um, I got to train with him. And, uh, I mean, I was a lot bigger than him. 
lot stronger, but he had so many techniques. It was unbelievable. He was so fast. And yeah, he was he was he was very good. Um, but like I say, I mean, not taking a, not taking away from Dakota or none of them. They were all tough. Uh, all of them superior to the ones in the United States. But um, just some were better than others, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, just my opinion. Uh, and it actually has a part two. Uh, another question, Dylan Fox, as a uh, as a Memphis native, he's from Memphis, uh, Dylan Fox. He also like to know what was it like being around Jerry Lawler in Japan. Yeah, Jerry Lawler was touring with us halfway through the tour in New Japan, and um, he was funny man. He was a funny guy. He kept us all entertained with his jokes and all on the bus rides <laughs> and in the locker room. But um, I tagged with him once and uh, against uh, Masa uh, no uh, Chono. Masachoto, I think it was, and um, I forgot who else. I have the ma- I have the match as with uh, was a Hiroshi Hasi and and Ricky Chochu. Yes, Ricky Chochu, Ricky Chochu, what a what a machine that guy was. Mm. Um, he he, uh, Jerry Lawler was scared to get in the ring. He told me he says you go in there and you wrestle him, and uh, I'll do the high spots, and uh, you but you you wrestle him. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the I was in the ring more than he was, and he was the star. So that kind of uh, he was actually kind of scared of, scared of the guys. Tell you the truth, because those guys were basically basically he didn't want his reputation killed off by these two Japanese guys who were going to tear him apart. Yeah, because they were they were shooting. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, well, actually, uh, one of the things I also want to bring up about the UWFI, and this is from an interview, a video interview I found on YouTube. I apologize. I don't remember who uh, the people who did the interview, but it was a very great interview. And you said something very interesting about how the UWFI was structured and that on the on standing, it was a work. On the ground, it was a shoot. Can you just elaborate uh, on that uh uh, what do you mean by that? Well, I can't say 100% was a work on the feet because they would throw those kicks in, man, and they were tough. I mean, they were solid when they kick you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I got knocked out legitimately by a kick behind the ear, knocked me out, caught in a wedge. And um, so... I, I kind of backtrack on that because um, <laughs> their kicks were tough standing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They would lay them in, and their slaps, they would lay them in. But um, on the ground, we would wrestle. We would wrestle, and they would try to get you, man. They would try to submit you. They really would. And um, it was just tough, man. But I was at home on the mat. That was where I was best. Uh, I was better on the, on the mat than I was on my feet. So I was comfortable with wrestling on the mat. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, there was more of a, uh, wasn't no playing around really on the mat. It was, it was, a, uh, it was a, definitely a shoot. Uh, so I got to ask also as well, the atmosphere of UWFI. Were, were there like the foreigners hanging out with each other, the Japanese guys would hang out with each other in the back? Um, was there ever this, this sense of, you know, if it was like you versus uh, like uh, Tamara or like in a singles match against a Japanese guy, that maybe you know it was kind of like you're representing the United States versus 
Japan. Was it always, was it ever that kind of competitive um, aspect, and also just that just uh, the clique of just everybody who's kind of uh, who's a foreigner hanging out with each other, Japanese people hanging out with each other. Just yeah, can, anything you could tell us about that whole backstage atmosphere? Yeah, um, the Japanese are very proud people. The wrestlers were very proud and, and very um, determined and worked out hard and took everything serious. And that's one reason I liked it also. But we did not really associate with the Japanese boys. When we went to the dojo in the morning, we had a scheduled time to be there to do our workouts, be out there before the Japanese boys got there. Uh, we did not work out together. Um, we would, uh, we would go there in the morning, we would run, we would lift weights, and then we'd get in the ring and roll around and wrestle. And then we, the young boys who were just training would cook us, uh, something to eat there at the dojo. We would eat and then we would go home and then the Japanese boys would either go in after us. We never worked out with them. Um, in New Japan was the same way. We didn't associate with the Japanese. We didn't travel with them. We traveled in separate buses um, in both promotion. So we really didn't associate with the Japanese wrestlers, um, per se. Um, and we didn't work out with them. I mean, it wasn't like that when I went there. We, we just stayed away from each other. Especially in the UWFI, um, they were very strict. We had a strict regiment where we had to work out a certain amount of hours per day in the dojo, and there was no slacking. Um, uh, Miyato would be there. He kind of ran the gym, and he would watch us. And um, I don't know if you're familiar, and I'm sure you're familiar with Gary Albright. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Very much Gary so. Albright and I were pretty good friends, and we were workout partners. And when we'd get to the dojo, him and I worked out together. That's on the mat. And um, one day, just to give you an example how serious the Japanese were, one day Gary says, look, can we go sightseeing and just skip the workout today? Because Gary hated the workout. <laughs> and uh, they actually got mad. They said, no, you're not here to, to sightsee. You're here to wrestle. And we pay you to wrestle, so you got to work out. So they were very strict. There was no playing around. Mm-hmm. Now, I know all Japan, Baba's group was a little different. I was more Americanized and um, more Americanized than uh, the New Japan and UW, UWFI. But uh, yeah, they, they took it serious. They kept it separate, kept us separate. And, um, you know, we were under their rules, so we had to do what they asked. Mm-hmm. And it was tough. I mean, we worked out, we weren't there to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, it's funny that uh, New Japan now, they have all these, like, they have, like, five different um, uh, factions or groups within the uh, wrestling, uh, within their wrestling uh, promotion. And I know for a fact that they have the same rules that, like, you know, oh, Minoru Suzuki's group, you know, they can't be hanging out with uh, this other group uh, led by this other guy. All the groups have to be separate when they go for training or they come into the arena, so that's the thing that New Japan still sticks to this day. And I kind of wish American wrestling would 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 do as well, but you know, yeah. the barriers that barrier has been unfortunately long dead in uh, American professional wrestling for quite a well, while. When I was wrestling for uh, New Japan, um, in my contract it said that I was uh, forbid to talk to any 
any scouts or any wrestlers from other promotions while I was in Japan. Mm. Like, uh, you know, I couldn't talk to Baba's guys and um, I couldn't talk to, uh, you know, any of the other groups over there while I was with, under contract with the group that I was with. So, they, yeah, they were pretty strict and serious about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, one of the uh, matches I have to talk to you about um, uh, during your UWFI career um, I think, I don't know if he was a young boy at the, at the time, but he was certainly not, uh, a, a, a long, uh, long, uh, he didn't have a, he, he had just started his career as a pro wrestler, Yoshihiro Takayama, um, who you, I, you fought twice, and I just want to know, so, was he a young boy at the time, or was he, they just, was he kind of like, not, no longer like a, a trainee anymore, was he, were they trying to, no, he was a young guy at the time, and uh, he was one of the guys that would cook for us, but yet he was booked on the cards. Mm-hmm. He was using the first or second match. But let me tell you something. I wrestled him, and uh, before I left there, he was kind of moving up to the mid-card, and um, he was a tough guy. Uh, you know, he was a tall, thin guy, but um, he was a tough guy. They, they treated him horrible. They treat the young guys over there horrible when they're training them. They slap them around, and they give them all college ball years and all this. And um, a lot of them quit. But this guy, he was a tough dude, man, and he made it. I mean, he made he made it up to the uh, to the top. I understand. And then he got paralyzed, I believe. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, that's a shame because he was a nice guy, and um, he gave a hundred and ten percent at the workouts and. Um, I respected those young guys because uh, they, they, they took a lot of grief, man, in their training. And they used to try to carry our bags. And me and Gary wouldn't let them carry our bags because, you know, I was like, I used to tell them, look, I can carry my own bag. I don't need you to carry my bag. Mm-hmm. When they did it, I was, they would try to do that out of respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, some guys took advantage of it, but I did personally, and I know Gary did. Mm-hmm. Because we respected those guys just as much as the other guys, because we saw we saw what they had to go through to compete, and it was tough over there, man. These guys today here in the United States wouldn't last thirty seconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those, they, Jap- those they, Japanese boys, they learned the correct way, and I respected that. Mm-hmm. They learned how to wrestle before they learned how to do anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of the American wrestlers might uh, they would immediately run away as soon as uh, they're told you have to shave your head first. They'd be like, nope, I'm, I'm not. Nope, that's as far. Nope, I'm gonna I'm going back. I'm going back uh, to uh, I'm going back to Texas or California, wherever I'm from. Yeah. Well, let me tell you. Um, yeah, this guy named uh, uh, the, the the catch wrestler over there now, Sakuraba. Sakuraba. Yes. Mm-hmm. He was just—he was just breaking in when I was over there. Mm-hmm. He was a college wrestler, if I remember right. Uh-huh. He was. He was just breaking in over there with the UWFI. He used to try to carry our bags, and um, you know, he was just getting slapped around. He wasn't nobody then. We wouldn't let him, but um, he really came out. He really worked hard, and they gave him a lot of grief too when he was training. Mm-hmm. But I guess it paid off for him. But I, I will say this, and I've learned this from just being in the business. I found out a lot of a lot of the top American guys did not want to go to Japan 
and work for either New Japan and definitely not UWFI because it was so freaking tough. Mm -hmm. Um, And it hurt their feelings because they were on top here in the United States and there they got their asses handed to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. They weren't weren't put put over in Japan like they were here in the United States. So they didn't want to go over there because they knew they had to earn it. It definitely with UWFI, if you are in a special class, if you if they if they contact you and said, Hey, we want you to wrestle for our promotion, it, it, there is a special class of people, that type of a promotion. Uh it, it's 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 its own uh it's kind of like its own little hall of fame. Yeah. that says says you are at this level versus, you know, somebody who's at this level in America but they could never hang at at the, at the level of UWFI demands. Yeah, you're right, and, and you know, and I, I feel blessed that I was asked, I was invited. You had to be invited mm-hmm. to compete over there, and I just, you know, I was blessed to be invited. Um, every time I would, we would have a fight. They call, you know, they would come pay you fight money after the matches, and they either offered you a contract or they didn't. And um, I was just fortunate enough to um, be offered a contract after every fight I had over there. Um, I didn't; they didn't end it for me. I ended it myself from over there. But um, you know, it, it's just—I was just honored to uh, be appreciated. You know, because let me tell you, I've seen a lot of guys. I saw some Olympic wrestlers that were over there that they invited and. They just couldn't hack it, and they wouldn't be invited back because they they didn't have a good showing. Mm. So it was it was an honor to be uh, kept being invited back and offered contract. Actually, so if you don't mind me asking, so you brought it up. Uh, can you tell us why you didn't want to continue working with the UWFI? Because I think it was still uh, ninety three was yeah it, it was still uh, kicking as a promotion. Was there any reason? Yeah. Um, well. <laughs> In the, in the magazines, whether this could buy a cup of coffee at the 7-Eleven or not, I don't know. But in the magazines, at the time, I was ranked number two for the UWF Americans in the magazines, okay? So that meant a lot to the fans. And I worked my butt off there. And and, um, and then one day, uh, they offered me a contract that I'd signed to come back. But they wanted me... Gary Albright to wrestle each other in the main event. And um, I was excited because me and Gary always talked about wanting to wrestle each other. Gary was more superior than I was. He was bigger than I was. He was stronger than I was. And he was a better Greco-Roman wrestler than I was. And he was on top there. I mean, he was their number one man. And uh, I was excited about wrestling him until they told me what to do during the match. And um, that kind of disappointed me. And not so much telling me what to do or how to take a fall, but just the attitude they had when they told me kind of disappointed me because they knew I was a hard worker and I had worked myself up, you know, up on the car some and um, had a good showing. And if that wasn't true, they would have never kept booking me. And um, it just kind of disappointed me and kind of put a bad taste in my mouth how they handled that. And, and even, the way, even the way they wanted Gary to go over on me, 
And um, Gary, you know, he went to him and told him, he said, you know, Mark's too good of a talent to do that. And I don't think we should do it that way. Well, they got the nose been all out of shape. Anyway, make a long story short, I got a little peeved at him and uh, kind of told him, stick it. And um, that um, I had already signed a contract, but uh, I got back here in the United States and I had a meeting with Lou. And Lou was kind of handling my affairs at the time. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't feel comfortable doing this and I don't think it's fair and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I guess pride got in my way. And, um, you know, and Lou, me and Lou hummed and hauled about it. He says, well, you make your decision. It's, you know, it's you. And I just decided to cop out of it and not, not go after I had signed the contract. Well, they were practically begging me to come back. And, um, you know, and then it got to be where they kind of threatened me legally, you know, and all that. I, hate, I don't want to talk bad about the UWFI because I like the guys there. And, um, we have mended fences since then all this happened. So I'm good with all the guys there, mm -hmm. but you know, it was a little bit of me and a little bit of them and it just got out of hand. I'm not blaming all on them and, and, and I'm not blaming all on myself because I respect my, my decision, but I just thought it was not best for me at the time, whether that was a mistake. Maybe I look back now, maybe it was, but at the time, I, uh, I believed it, you know, and, and I wasn't going to do it. And I stuck to my guns, and I quit going there. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, actually, uh, what uh, the last uh, topic I have for your Japanese career is, let's talk about Japanese fans versus American fans. Uh, right. Anything that you have, a, do you have a preference for one group of fans or anything you want to say about Japanese fans that's different than American fans? What can you tell us about that whole, uh, the whole, the well, whole fandom? I, I just want to say we would be nothing without the fans, either Japanese or American. So mm -hmm. I love the fans, and I've always been the type of guy that would go out and talk to them and sign autographs in Japan and in the United States. So I love the fans. Um, I looked at it as if, if they didn't pay to buy tickets to pay, come pay, see us, and put butts in the seats, then we would be all broke, you know? Mm -hmm. So I respected the fans. Um the Japanese fans were so different. Um, the one reason I like Japanese fans so much is that they sat and watched the matches and would study the matches. They studied the holes. They knew a shoot hole from a bullshit hole. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they didn't cheer like here. They would root for the, the, the baby face or the good guy and, and boo the heel over here in the United States. Over there, they would cheer for the guy that was that showed the most heart and the most fight, whether it was one of their own or whether it was an American. And I like that about them. Um, and they just knew the sport better. They were more educated because they, they, they watched it and they looked at it as a sport and not entertainment. And they weren't so daggone bloodthirsty like they were over in the United States. United States, they wanted to see fights with chairs and guys getting their heads split open and all that. And over in Japan, they looked at it more as a sport, and I appreciated that more. Even the over in Japan, it, it was in the sports page. Um, 
I got articles in my in my scrapbook of me wrestling on the sports page of Tokyo Sports and pictures and so they covered it like a sport, not like here where because they can't because there's so many clowns in it, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, I'm curious to know. Um, the was there? Did you take a layoff from wrestling after UWFI? Because I see that there's that you have no wrestling up until your last match in 2006. Oh no, no! I <laughs> I took a um, I wrestled after I left UWFI. Um, I started wrestling independent. Um, still under Luthez, I was wrestling some independents, and Lou asked me that I want to go to. WWF, um, he had connections with Pat Patterson, and I wanted to know parts of it because I told him I'm not doing what they're doing, and I don't fit what they're doing. So that was a no-go. So I just continued working some independents. Um, I worked under a hood for a while, which was Lou's Fez's idea. Um, and... Um, I went back to Japan after UWFI for United Nations Wrestling. It was an independent promotion over in Japan that had some young guys that were good wrestlers. Um, I even took a couple of guys that I was training here in the United States who were good wrestlers. I took them over there with me. Um, so I did. I went over there for uh, United St- United Nations Wrestling for about. Oh gosh, five or six tours. This was after UWFI. So I was I was wrestling. Um, I was just independent. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so you you said that you, uh, Lufes came uh, with the possible offer from WWF. What about WCW? Did they ever reach out to you at the at that time? Did they to come over to yes. their promotion? Yes, they wanted. Um, they asked me, well, I don't know who they were, but I had guys ask me that I want to get booked with WCW and um, because there was an opportunity to do TV with uh, Vince McMahon. And I told him I, I wasn't interested. I knew, I knew from the inside scoop that WCW wasn't, being handled very well, I knew I could see the writing on the wall that that was a disaster and that was going to last just from hearing the inside stories. And um, some of the guys were started doing TV for Vince, and I definitely didn't want to do that because I had done enough jobs on TV that I was over that. So, um, you know, I, I, I didn't work for WCW or Vince. Um, what about, uh, curious to know, ECW, did they ever reach out to you? No, that was a whole different, you know, wrestling, hitting each other with trash cans and all that. No, no I didn't fit what they were doing. Mm. They knew that, I knew that. That was never something I was interested in, no. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so uh, I want to talk about uh, two matches specifically. Um, in one of the uh, one of the last segments of our podcast uh, interview, um, you had a uh, I think maybe one of the most noble that one of the most noble matches you've had uh, was against a young Ken Shamrock in his debut for NAWA, um, and it was for a tournament. I forgot which tournament it was, but it, I believe it was a uh, title tournament match. 
Yeah, I, I forgot about that promotion. Yeah, I wrestled for the NAWA, who was run by George Scott and uh, Paul Jones and mm-hmm. Johnny Weaver. A lot of old timers were involved in that. Um, Lou got me involved in that also. Um, yeah, I was wrestling as the international champion, um, and George Scott booked me as that, and and he put me in the tournament with. Um, it was for the uh, NAWA Heavyweight Championship. And uh, Steamboat was there, and a bunch of, some of the top guys were there, Robert Fuller and all these guys. But anyway, um, they put me in Ken Shamrock because they knew we both could wrestle. You know, we were legit ath- athletes, you know. And um, so we wrestled on a TV. I think it was a 15 to 20 minute match. I don't know what it was on TV. And um, they loved it. Uh, I think Lou Fez did some commentating on it, and um, George Scott loved it. But the funny thing about it, me and uh, me and Shamrock had talked about it since. It was funny how they never booked us against each other on the road. Mm-hmm. They put us in tag team together after that match, and I'm like, ain't that the dumbest thing? Why would they put us as a tag team partners? Not let us wrestle each other on the road. I, I, we never understood that. The way the match goes, yeah, like I said, uh, it was a draw, and, uh, and you kind of figure, oh, it's a draw, so there's going to be another match down the line. That's usually exactly. what happens. It was it, it was a draw, and um, it was a TV draw, so everybody knew about it. Mm-hmm. So it would have done well on the road, and 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 he felt the same way as I did, and um, I talked a little about it, and you know, Lou wasn't in charge at. Time. It was all George Scott, and and I never we never figured out what the deal was on that. And they started tagging us together, so it was kind of dumb. But really, you know, um, I don't know. They, we could have done something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I could have done something with that and helped them along. I, I really feel that way. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And by the way, for anybody that wants to see the matches on YouTube, it's a great match. It's what it's it's it's. You know, a lot of matches that end in draws tend to not be paced very well, but it's, it is a it is just a, it is a great technical match for fans of technical wrestling out there. Cash wrestling, scientific wrestling, you love that stuff. That's this is a match that if you haven't seen it, you gotta see it. So check it out on YouTube. Um, and one of the other matches I want to talk about your last match, which was which was against Kamala in two thousand six. Um, my question is is about uh. Has that been your last match uh, permanently? Was that your retirement match? No, I had uh, a couple after that, um, but that was probably the last. No, I, no, that's 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 just one of my last matches. I okay. had I had a series of matches with Tully Blanchard um, and Harley Race um, was in Greg Valentine and. Um, I had a series of matches with, uh, you know, like I say, Tully Blanchard, Greg Valentine, um, Harley Race was in my corner. Um, yeah, that, that Kamala was just one match. It was the, it was one of my last ones, but no, it wasn't my last one. Though. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so yeah, so can you just talk about um, why you decided to retire? Was did you just? Figure it was time time to hand up the boots, as they say, or was there some other um, reason why you wanted uh, why you uh, have, have retired from pro wrestling? Well, let me tell you, uh, in Virginia, you had to uh, submit a physical from your doctor, 
So I had had back trouble that I had been fighting, but nothing I thought was serious. And um, I went, I went, I've had some MRIs on my back at the time, and I guess they weren't very good, but I never took them serious. But anyway, when I went and had my physical, my doctor said, I can't sign off on your physical because of your back issues. Mm-hmm. And I practically had to beg him to off on my physical. I told him, I said, this is my last year. I'm going to wrestle. So just give me the, let me have my license and, and I'll be done. Well, I was finding Danny and I had some good matches after that, but I was wrestling my last match one night and um, it was on an independent show and everybody in the locker room was a lot younger than me. Um, I didn't change with the times as far as I didn't have a gimmick. I wasn't doing no high flying stuff. I was wrestling like I always had and people just weren't doing that. And, um, and then my back was bothering me. So I started thinking that, um, this doctor who wouldn't give me my license told me, he said, you can take one good slam and, 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 and shatter a vertebrae. But I got to thinking about that. And, uh, and just the different, how the, the circumstances of how the business has changed. It didn't seem like I fit in no more. And I just said, after that match, I just said, you know, I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just time to give up. Have you I got- wish it wasn't. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for my back, I would have probably kept going. But the business has changed. So. Okay. Have you gotten any offers? Now, come to think of it, the question I would like to ask before this podcast is over is, you know, if you were like five or ten years younger, you've seen some of these wrestlers basically treat wrestling like it's a joke, like it's, you know, more entertainment than sport. How would you go about approaching them, especially in this day and age? Well, one thing, they talk out a match for an hour. And when when guys would wrestle me and they'd want to come and see what I was going to do, I'd say, see you in the ring. We'll do it out there. And they would be like, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I says, yeah. You just go from tie-up. And um, these guys can't comprehend that because everything's choreographed so bad. And, 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 uh, and they can't think for themselves. And I don't know. It, it's just, you know, what, what I tell the young guys now, when I had the gym, I had guys call me and, and come in and they want to be wrestlers and ask me about advice and all this. And I would tell them, I'd say, first thing you got to do is get in shape. You know, you got to be a wrestler. You got to learn how to wrestle. Me and Lou, I, taught, I coached at Lou's Wrestling School. And I used to coach the guys and I would coach them from the ground up. And all these guys would come in and say, I want to learn how to jump off the ropes and, and do all this mess. And I said, first of all, you got to learn how to uh, apply a wrist rock before you can do all that. So, and if, you, and if they don't know how to apply a wrist lock, you can force them to do it over and over again. Well, uh, I would teach them. I, I said, look, guys, I'm going to teach you how to wrestle. And I'm going to teach you how to take care of yourself in there. Okay? And then... After you mastered that, how to take care of yourself on the mat and wrestle and learn some holds, then I will teach you 
some of the showmanship as far as going off the ropes and all blah blah blah. What I call showmanship, but still, it's still tough. But I said, you got to learn to crawl before you walk. Well, they wanted to start off running, mm-hmm. and, and that's not the way I was taught. And these guys today are being taught that way. They're not being taught how to actually take care of themselves. And, and, and really, if somebody tried you out there, they wouldn't be able to know what to do. And, and I can't comprehend that because I wasn't trained that way. So, you know, I tell the guys today when they ask me advice, young guys, I say, first of all, stay in shape, get in the best shape you ever can, and learn how to wrestle. And I'm not talking about wrestling, getting thrown off the ropes. I'm talking about on the mat wrestling. No switch, no double wrist lock, no front head headlock. Um, know how to reverse and escape. And they look at you, you know, like you got three eyes. But I, I don't know. I mean, I guess nowadays that's not needed. But I can't comprehend that because it was when I was in there. You know, because guys would, guys would try. I got stories where I've been tried before, and I've come out on the raw end of the deal, and I've come out on top too. So, you know, it's just a whole different business now. It really is. I think I think a way to sum up what the business is now, and Christian, you remember when we were talking with uh, a lot of the blood sport wrestlers, and including people like Josh Barnett, uh, was when, when we were, when we brought up uh, there's a, a female uh, women's wrestler named Jordan Grace. Uh, who wrestles for uh, an, an Impact, and she's uh, TNA Impact, and she's wrestled for other promotions as well. Where and she, she said that uh, she is. This is a her exact quote. Basically, said that professional wrestling these days is like performance art. That should be considered performance art, not a sport. Yeah, well, I got I got to agree with that. Um, I mean, I respect the boys today. I always will. Because I know it takes a lot of guts to get out there and do any level of it. But, and, and I don't want to downgrade these guys because I don't know everything that's going on today. But um, you, you've got to be an athlete. And you've got to be in shape to do this correctly. Um, and I, I just wish the guys would take, take it more serious and learn to craft well. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's something to take serious, not only because... You don't take it serious. You can very well get hurt, and um, I mean, you know, it, it's just these guys think it's a circus, and you know, it's like Luthez used to say, you know, um, this can kill the business that took him fifty years to build up. Mm-hmm. He killed it in one year, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, because he made clowns out of everybody because. Vince McMahon didn't respect wrestlers. He don't even know how to spell the word. But, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I think he killed a camaraderie. He really did. And I it was a probably, and I'm sorry to interrupt Mr. Fleming, but I think it's probably more because of the fact that he threw in, you know, all the showmanship, all the pyrotechnics and all that. In well, you know, I... I don't know, but I just know that um, it was a business that was for years and years and years, and that there's no more. And it could have still been going on if all his uh, people handled the business better. Uh, I shouldn't say differently. Do you at all? Um, do you 
watch Raw or WWE now or see any of the wrestling that's on television? Have you seen it all recently by any chance? No, I don't wrestle. I don't watch wrestling at all. Um, I do watch, I will watch MMA. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't know if all that's on the level, but um, you can even see sometimes even in the MMA that, um, you know, some of these guys aren't as uh, skilled as you would think. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I like a lot of that. I, if anything, I'd watch that before I would uh, the WWF. Mm-hmm. I don't watch that at all. I, I don't even have a clue who's out there, what's what. Mm-hmm. People ask me all the time what I think about this guy I never heard of, so mm-hmm. I don't know. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, come to think of it, there's also one more question I would like to ask, and I promise you we'll be done. <laughs> if there was anything that you think in your honest opinion, that the modern era of professional wrestling would take from the era that you were brought up in, what would it be and why? Uh, what was that a question again now? I'm sorry. If there was anything that the modern era of professional wrestling, you know, basically the pomp and circumstance era nowadays, would take from the era that you were brought up in, you know, the 70s and early 80s, where you had to bust your ass over over nights at a time trying to get to where you were, what would it be in your life? I, I just say, you know, it's just, it's kind of hard to compare us from then to now, um, uh, just because of the different aspects of where we drove everywhere. We didn't fly. Only time I ever flew for Crockett, is when I'd go to Toronto, Canada and wrestle. But every other time, we'd be in the cars driving from town to town, and I was usually by yourself, and um, the guy, and you had a uh, close camaraderie with the boys. Um, I don't think there's a lot of respect towards each other nowadays, and um, the camaraderie, I don't believe, is there. And um, I don't know, I mean, I don't really know how to answer that question. It's just, it's just, I just think it's a different ball game now. And uh, people, people are different. People, people are different. I don't know. I'm not saying that they don't work hard, which they do. I know they do in their own way. But it's just, it's just different. It's handled different. It's, it's different in every aspect, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we got to promote my book here. We got to plug yeah. it. I don't know that's going to be my next question. If you have anything to plug, social media, your book, feel free to do so. Well, actually, Christian, I was about to ask uh, Mark. Yeah, I want to talk about your book. It's called It's Wrestling, Not Wrestling. That's what an exclamation point at the end. And it is by you and Scott Teal, who Scott Teal, well-known among wrestling fans who read books. He's usually like, he's kind of like the go-to guy if you you want to write a book about wrestling. He's a super guy. Yeah, and it's by uh, Crowbar Press. So, yeah. Talk about the book uh, and uh, what, what, what motivated you to write, write a book and where people can get the book. Well, I wrote it because I, I thought I thought I have a different story. Um, I broke in in a um, different way, and um, I, I've experienced a lot, and I've wrestled just about everybody you can mention. But um, it's it just tells my whole story of how I got started uh, from the amateurs to the pros and um, – my, all my experiences and the people I met, 
and uh, worked out with some of the some great wrestlers. And my experiences and training with Luthez is um, it's kind of amazing in itself because so many people are fascinated with that type of uh, training and everything, and especially the catch wrestlers. And um, I just felt like it was I had a story to tell, and and obviously uh, Scott Teal did too. So it took us about two years. I wrote this thing and um, gathered all the pictures and everything from my scrapbook. But uh, it, it's um, it's a pretty interesting book. I uh, I haven't heard anybody talk bad about it. I, <laughs> everybody seems to like it, and um, it, it's just about a story about a wrestler starting from the ground up. You know, <laughs> the title the title came from a Luthez saying. Because he used to tell me when I was wrestling under him, he says, always remember the marquee says wrestling, not wrestling. Mm-hmm. He always used to tell me that. So what he was saying to me is to go out there and wrestle. He thought wrestling was all this uh, jumping around, jumping off the top rope, doing all this crazy chair shots and all this. He said that was wrestling. He said, remember the marquee says wrestling. And so that's what I try to represent. That's where the title came from. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, um, if, if you want to hear stories about Jim Crockett, uh, your time in Japan, uh, your interactions with Luthez, you know, uh, it's definitely a book that uh, fans should definitely pick up. Also, you know, uh, I have to say, uh, I, I don't think there's any, is there any big tragedies or any sad stories? Because I feel like almost all wrestling stories almost end on a sad note or something. Is your book at all like that? Because I, like, I feel like your book is, has a more positive um, approach. To yeah, wrestling. I just I just tried to uh, show the people that what me and Luthez were were promoting was wrestling yeah. as a sport, not not the. Uh, so we, we were trying to show that there are some guys out there that can still wrestle and do wrestle mm. and not do all the showmanship. And um, and you know it's just a it's just a good honest book. Um, it's just some. You know, not many kids can dream what they're going to be and then end up doing it. Um, so that's what this book is, and uh, I hope it inspires some young guys. Um, and I just told about the hard, hard times I had getting, getting involved. You know, I had nothing handed to me. Um, I did it all myself and worked hard. And um, you know, it's just a good story. There's no tragic ending or nothing like that mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. uh, I'm a, I'm a, a back tore up now <laughs> but, but other than that you know it's, it's a good book <laughs> uh, to read. Where, where can uh, people pick up your book where is it available well, they can message me on uh, Facebook I sell them uh, they can go to Crowbar Press and get them through Scott Teal but if you get it through me I can autograph it um, I've sold a lot that way. Um, or you can go through Scott Teal's Crowbar Press and get one. Uh, they have a Kindle uh, edition on Amazon. Uh, but with that edition, that's great. But you don't get all the pictures. I got a ton of pictures in here. Oh, and, um, okay. I got a photo gallery in the back. And uh, it's got a lot of uh, action shots of me in Japan and uh, a lot with Crockett and uh, some of the old timers I knew and met. A lot of pictures of me training with Luthez and 
So a lot of bef- never before seen pictures are in there. So. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? Maybe you should make an audio uh, book version as well. Do they? I don't know. Oh uh, yeah, you get uh, so many books now. You can do your own oh, like audio book version. Like books on tape or something. Yeah, books. Yeah, books on tape. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I never thought of that. Because best book publisher, I. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I lived it. I lived it. I don't do the publishing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any other uh, social media or anywhere else where people can uh, reach out to you, Mister Fleming? Uh, that you uh, can put out there? Like, uh, I don't know, Twitter, Facebook, anything that uh, you want to... I just do Facebook uh, on the Mark Fleming. Um, I had a Fleming Gym Facebook page, but I still do. But my gym's going out of business, so... Uh, but yes, uh, just Mark Fleming on Facebook. That's about all I do. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, well I was going to... Uh, I, I, is there anything else that you want to plug besides the book? Anything else that you got going on or... Want to give a sh- again? What do you want to give a shout out to? Now uh, the floor is yours. Um, no, I just you know, um, I just love to talk about wrestling, and um, you know, it was my life, and I st- it's still in my blood. I can't do it no more because I've got a lot of injuries, but it's still in my blood, and um, you know, I appreciate the fans out there, and I appreciate them um, liking what I did or are interested in what I did and the style I had. Um, UWFI is, uh, like you said, it's a, uh, it's like a little entity in it to itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a shame it didn't last as longer than it did, but um, I think it was a great organization. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just love wrestling. I love the sport of wrestling. Any level, any style, that's just me. The most co- the best compliment anybody can give me is call me a wrestler. And that's all I can say is that's to sum it up. If you call me a wrestler, that's a big honor. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Well, you know, uh, Mark, this has been a great talk. I apologize. I know I said in our in our messages back and forth it would be 40, 50 minutes. We got a little bit over, t- uh, uh, actually quite over time. But we were happy to hear your stories from the Crockett era, Japan. We're glad that you got to plug your book. Um, and yeah, you know, thank you so much for what you've done, uh, for the wrestling business, you know, over, uh, here domestically and over in Japan, you know, as fans, uh, longtime fans, Christian and I were, you know, all we could just say is thank you, you know, thank you for being a wrestler. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot. No problem. No problem. We want to wish you, you, we also want to wish you the best of health in these, uh, chaotic times and that hopefully in your, in your friends, your family, yourself, that you uh, all stay, stay healthy and, you know, we can make it through these tough times. That's right. Thank you, and same to you. Thank you very much, Mark. You have a great day now. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Later. Later.